0: Children are uh, dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11 this morning. Romans chapter 8, 5 through 11. Listen then to God's word. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning, uh, that we would delight ourselves in you and that your word would would uh, stir up in our hearts just a, 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 a fervor that we might not only have truth and knowledge, but light and heat and passion for what you have done for us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and also through the working uh, of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give me uh, the words to say as we preach this passage. If we need to be convicted, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. If we need to be uh, encouraged and healed, we pray that your, your word would just encourage us and, and heal us, that you would uh, meet each one of us where we are and that we would be uh, attentive and responsive uh, to your word, but that the Holy Spirit would go before us uh, and write this word uh, in our hearts. Uh, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I think in our day and age in, in the Christian church, uh, we often don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we often, I think, wrongly think that the Holy Spirit is something that, that Pentecostals or the charismatic churches focus on. And, and sometimes then, unfortunately, in, in kind of a reaction to that, uh, we don't pay as much attention to the Holy Spirit. We say, well, we don't want to go down that route because we know that that's not right. But then we struggle and we sometimes maybe even in ourselves wonder, what does the Holy Spirit do? Maybe we know that the, the Holy Spirit writes God's word in our heart. We know that he's active, uh, but we really don't think much about it. That He truly is the, the third person of the Trinity. That He truly is God, just as the Father is God and just as Jesus is God. And so sometimes I think we, we kind of forget about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was a book written not too long ago, The Forgotten Holy Spirit, just going on this idea that we often don't pay much attention and remember uh, what, he does, what He has done. Uh, Martin Luther had a saying that the Holy Spirit that the devil loves nothing more than to lead us away from the Word and to the Holy Spirit. And what he meant by that was sometimes people then think what the Holy Spirit does is things that are different than what's in the Word of God. And so you have the other reaction and you have the charismatic excitement, and you think, well, if the Holy Spirit is active, it's gonna look like certain things. We're all going to start speaking in tongues or we're going to start uh, having healings and I'm going to take my jacket off and throw it at some of you and it will cause you to fall over because that's what the Holy Spirit looks like. Let me just say up front, that is not what the Holy Spirit looks like. And that's what Martin Luther meant when he said the devil loves nothing more than to lead us away from the word of God into the Holy Spirit. You don't have an understanding of the Holy Spirit if it's not the Holy Spirit described in Scripture and doing what He says He will do in Scripture. And so I think sometimes we go through life and we think about God the Father and we think about God the Son, Jesus, but we kind of minimize the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the same glory, power, might, and majesty that God the Father and God the Son have. And any view of salvation and any view of of who God is, needs to entail what does the Holy Spirit do in bringing salvation. Our main point this morning is this. If you belong to Christ, He has put the Holy Spirit within you. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed on Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of sins, He has put the Holy Spirit within you. There is a brand of teaching and theology out there called a second blessing, which says you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. And then you will come along at a later point in your life and you will have the Holy Spirit. It is a later second blessing. And usually they associate the coming of the Holy Spirit with some kind of uh, miraculous sign. Speaking in tongues or healing or something like that. And so you almost go upward to sort of a, a new level of Christian discipleship. This passage of Scripture teaches us if you belong to Christ, He has put the Holy Spirit within you. There is no second stage level where you get more of God inside of you than you already have. If you belong to Christ, He has put His Holy Spirit within you. Notice first this morning, there is a hard and fast contrast in our passage between the flesh and the spirit. These are equal opposites. You cannot be in both. You cannot be in slavery to your sin and at the same time have the Holy Spirit. Now, even the believer today with the Holy Spirit will sin. But the contrast here is between who rules your heart, who is your master, who are you enslaved to. It picks up on some of those things that he's been talking about in Romans chapter six. There is a hard and fast contrast between being of the flesh and being of the spirit. So if you live according to the flesh, you display that you have the mind set on the flesh. Look at verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So you remember that Paul has been pointing out to us what God has done through Jesus Christ that the law was powerless to do. So if you look back at verses three and four. uh, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so he's picking up on this idea that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and you are to be walking according to the spirit. Why? Because the flesh has been crucified in Christ. And when he speaks of the flesh, he means who we are in our sinfulness and in our enslavement to sin. Who we were in Adam. Who we were before we were saved. Where not only did we sin, but we enjoyed sinning. And we typically weren't bothered by it. And we didn't have a conviction that walking in it. Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. It's that that contrast between the godly one and the one who is handed over to the flesh, is in bondage to their sin, and lives that way. The Spirit here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it should be, and probably in most of your translations it is, uh, capitalized. Notice that Paul is building on the argument. For for those who live according to the flesh. So now he's he's saying we don't walk according to the flesh. We walk according to the Spirit. Well, what is it that's true of those who actually live according to their flesh? They have their minds set... On the things of the flesh. They are of the flesh. Having your mind set on the things of the flesh means to, to be intent upon. To, to think this way. It can even be used in some cases to, to take this side of the argument. You know when there's like two opposing opinions and you say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with this group. You say I'm, I'm setting myself here. This is where I stand. This is how I think. This is the judgment I am making. Paul is saying that those who live according to the flesh, and he's not talking about someone that just stumbles with sin. Every believer will stumble at sin at some point. Paul will talk about that in in Romans 8, 12, and 13, that we have this obligation not to yield to the sins that used to to entangle us. But he's talking about the person who, that is fully imbibed by the flesh. They, they live this way. It's the consistent pattern of their behavior. And he says they live this way because this is their mindset. This is where they are set. This is what is going on in their minds. And we can even, I think, come with the idea of the biblical understanding not just of the brain, but, but of the heart. This is who the person is. If you are continually, consistently walking in the deeds of the flesh without any conviction of sin, it says something about where your heart and your mind is. You're in captivity to the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds upon the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the flesh? Well, it's those things that are sinful. Uh, it's sin and sinfulness. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what Paul does there. He sort of he sort of puts parentheses and and it's so easy to go through that list and say, well, these are these are really big sins and I don't do these, you know, sexual immorality. He ends it talking about orgies and drunkenness. And maybe some of us go, I've never, maybe you can honestly say I've never done some of those things. But then you look, you look at the middle. Enmity. Have you ever been angry at somebody? Strife. Have you ever been in a fight with somebody and had tension and strife where you didn't get along? Jealousy. Have you ever been jealous of something? Have you ever coveted something that someone has? Fits of anger. Have you ever lost your temper? Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. These are sins that are common to all of us. And Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. We don't want to be a people enslaved to these things. And if God has worked in you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ... God is also calling you to put these things to death. Why? Because He has made you alive in Jesus Christ and He has put the Holy Spirit within you. Will we struggle with these sins? Yes. But don't be enslaved to them. Why? Because you have moved from death into life in Jesus Christ and through the working of the Spirit. What are then the the fruit of the Spirit? Paul goes on in Galatians 5:22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, if we are a believer made alive by the Holy Spirit, Paul says, then he gives us this, let us keep in step with the Spirit. J.I. Packer has a good little book I'd recommend to you, Keeping in Step with the Holy Spirit. It's based in part on that work. If God, on that verse, excuse me, if God has made you alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who applies Christ to you, then we are to be the people who are keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And again, back in Romans 8, God has, has written the righteous requirements of the law on us that they might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is who we are. God has put the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit will manifest Himself by this behavior. Jonathan Edwards uh, is a famous American preacher in the early days of the colonies. Uh, He's uh, wrote some important works. He pastored a church in New England. Then he was a missionary for a while uh, to to the Indians. He became uh, the president of Princeton Seminary and College. This was before Princeton uh, went liberal. Uh, He actually died before he was able to fulfill that role. But he was a a well-known pastor. And during that time, there was a series of revivals called the First Great Awakening, if you've ever heard the name George Whitefield. Uh, he was a, an itinerant preacher that went around, and people were just coming to the gospel in droves. And, and they would preach, and, and people would be like falling out of their pews and crying and wailing because they felt so convicted by the, the Word of God. And, and, and kind of like you sometimes have in our day, you have people that are kind of stuffy and say you know like don't raise your hands in church and let's be all prim and proper and you know they would look at the people that are melting down under the word of god and they would oh, oh, they're disrupting church oh that's not how we should sit and act uh, this this can't be the work of god uh it's too much excitement uh, then there were other people that were like oh my gosh people are so excited this this has to be the work of god and and Jonathan Edwards kind of split the hair rightly right down the middle and he wrote a sermon and later it was it's turned into a book, but the sermon was the distinguishing marks of the Spirit of God. What does it look like when the Spirit of God is active? And his point was this. There are times when the Spirit so overwhelms us, we burst out in emotions. Maybe you cry. You weep over your sin. Maybe you, you shout a good amen or please, by all means, if the Spirit is moving, raise your hands in, in the service. But he said, the lasting effects of the Holy Spirit. The, the true testament as to whether or not this is a genuine working of God will not be the flashiness of the moment, although that can be the Holy Spirit. It will be, is there love? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit begins a work and he continues it. And that is a lasting process. And that is ongoing. And that manifests itself in the hard times. And that is not always exciting. I'm sure we've all had scenarios where we look at someone and we say, oh my gosh, it is going to be so hard to love them. But the fruit of the Spirit cultivates love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. The distinguishing marks of the Holy Spirit are the long-term effects, the fruit of the Spirit that grows. By all means, praise God when someone comes to, to, to um, saving faith. And if they are pouring out their emotions, if they are in that moment so passionate about God, praise Him for that. But just because you have excitement in the moment isn't a sign that the Holy Spirit is working. It's not a, a certain... Sign, if I can put it that way. The Holy Spirit cultivates the fruit of the Spirit. The mind, however, set on the flesh is not of life, but of death. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh. He's not talking about, again, the Christian that struggles with sin. He'll say that in verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he does talk about the believer. You got to put to death the deeds of the body. You've got to work and fight against sin and not yield to it. But that's not of the flesh. That's not being controlled and ruled by the flesh. That's just saying we still have bodies that have sin in them. When he says the mind set on the flesh is death, he's talking about someone who is under the control of the old nature, the old self. Uh, it could be the mind ruled by the flesh. It actually doesn't use the word here set on, but really just says the mind of the flesh. Now, we, we translate it set on the flesh based on on verse five, but it, it really is just the mind of the flesh, the mind made up of the flesh. And he's not talking about your brains with all its gooiness there. He's talking about the the heart that is set on sin and ruled and controlled by the sin nature. It leads to death. Eternal condemnation. If sin is your master, if sin controls you and compels you, if sin is at the core of your heart and you do not have Christ and you do not have the sealing of the Holy Spirit that comes with Christ, you will die. You will be condemned. The contrast is absolute, but the mind set on the spirit, the mind of the spirit, the one who has been given the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ because he is united to Christ. This is life and peace, peace with God that you can stand before him and go into his presence, life meaning eternal life, the gift that God gives us through Christ is Sealed in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul has said in Galatians 5.21, I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things, that do what things? The things of the flesh. The things that, are, that are keep our heart in captivity to the flesh. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you. He has given you a new heart. Ezekiel 11:19. and I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. And I will give you a new heart Ezekiel 36:26 and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now Ezekiel is using flesh there different than Paul is using it. Paul uses flesh to speak of our sinful self. Ezekiel is contrasting flesh with stone. Stone meaning something that's hard, that's dead, that's That's inanimate flesh, meaning something that's alive and and vibrant and and new. Kind of like uh, when when a person has a heart attack and their heart uh, literally dies and and breaks down uh, and, and perhaps the heart gives out and and the doctors wheel the person in and they do a heart transplant and wherever they got that heart transplant from. It has to get to the new body in time so that it stays alive, that it stays tender, that that it doesn't dry up and and become a a useless hunk of, of a dead heart. And so they put in a new heart and they restart it. This is what Ezekiel is saying God does for us and will do for us in the grace that we have in the new covenant. You cannot be... A dead heart and an alive heart at the same time. You cannot be a stone heart, cold, immobile, immoving, in bondage to your sin, and at the same time be a heart that's alive and tender. And that is what Paul is saying. You cannot have this heart or mind or or, or capacity where you belong to the Slash the sin. And at the same time, be someone who has the Holy Spirit. There can only be one heart in you and there can only be one ruler of your heart. Will the Christian struggle with sin? Absolutely. Paul isn't talking about the presence of sin in our lives, which all Christians have and struggle with. He's talking about who rules the heart. Is it a heart made of flesh and sin? Or is it a heart, as Paul will say elsewhere, that we are in Christ, a new creation? Redemption starts in our heart as God takes those of us who are dead in our sins and makes us alive in Christ. And then as that new life grows in us, it does begin to push out the habits of sin. But it starts, if you will, in the center that you are a new creation, that the flesh isn't your master. And even when you're giving into it at times and you are stumbling into sin, you need to remind yourself, why am I doing this? This stuff shouldn't control me. My master is Jesus. The spirit is there. The flesh, however, cannot Please, God, Romans eight, seven and eight for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So we're not talking about someone who's just stumbling in sin. We're we're talking about that that state where you are in open rebellion against God. It's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. As an unbeliever before the Holy Spirit works in you to regenerate you. Regenerating means just bringing you to life. You are dead in your sins. Ephesians 2, 1-3. And when you are dead in your sins, you cannot do anything to please God. Not only do you not want to, not only are you living in rebellion and hostility, it says here, indeed, We cannot. We are unable to do those things necessary for a right relationship with God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This puts the priority on the grace of God. You and I brought nothing to the table by which God should look at us and say, I'm really glad that you're doing this and now I will save you. We cannot please God when we are in bondage and enslavement to sin. If you are of the flesh, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and as you hear the Gospel, He opens your eyes to see these things. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't open your eyes to see these things, you cannot please God. A couple concluding statements for this first point. The unbeliever is so enslaved to their bondage to sin that they cannot, apart from the work of God, do those things necessary to please God. Romans chapter 3, 9, 10, 11. Are Jews any better off? Not at all, for we charged. Uh, Already charged that all both Jew and Gentile are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks for God. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and your sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in you in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The passage goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. God had to move us from death to life. 1 Corinthians 2.13, the natural person, speaking the person without the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to Him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If the Holy Spirit doesn't work in your heart, You will not understand the things of God because you are unable to do things that would please God. That is how strong the flesh and our enslavement to sin is. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When someone comes and they hear the gospel and they cry out and they say, this is awesome. Jesus is Lord. I believe these things. It's because, as Paul says in in first Corinthians four, six, that God is shining the light into our hearts. Just as God spoke at creation and said, let there be light. God does that into our hearts. And we say, I see these things and I believe and I ask for salvation and I'm united to Jesus Christ. But that happens because the Spirit of God is at work. Even the believer making a spiritual decision and responding by faith to the Gospel, they are doing it because God is imparting in spiritual life. Finally, as you think of this passage, of course, in this life, Christians never perfectly submit to God or obey. But when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you confess that He is your Savior, two things change for you. We should want to submit to God and His Word. Why? Because He's put the Spirit in us. And two, God continues to work in us to enable us to walk in the ways of God and submit. We're in spiritually deadly territory if we can say, you know, I have Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not ready to submit to him as my Lord. Are you of the flesh? Are you in bondage to your sin? Or do you have the Holy Spirit in you? And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he is compelling you and pushing you and motivating you and enlivening you to walk in the ways of the Holy Spirit. It's never perfect. And sometimes we do fall back into sins and we struggle and it's two steps forward and one step back sometimes or one step forward and we fall two steps back into sin. But you have the Holy Spirit in you who perseveres with you. Second, this morning, when the Spirit of God dwells in you, it is because you belong To Christ Jesus. The believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit within him. And this gets back to where we started this sermon with this idea of some people say the Holy Spirit is a second later blessing. No! You come to Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. He works in you. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So now Paul has been speaking in a general way. This is what it means to be said in the flesh. This is what it means to be said in the spirit. He he turns to the church and he says to the body of believers, you have the Holy Spirit. You aren't of the flesh or in the flesh. Now, obviously, we still have bodies made of physical flesh. This, this is why we say Paul's not talking about physicality here. He's talking about that enslavement to sin. We aren't in the flesh. That sinfulness that ruled us has been crucified in Christ. And he put the spirit in you. And then he says, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And I think he's probably leaving open to the possibility. You know, there might be some in the room that, that aren't believers, If you don't belong to Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you can honestly say, I believe that He is my Savior, I have confessed my sins, I have put my trust upon Him, He is Savior, I confess Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit is in you. The imagery in Ephesians is that the Holy Spirit seals you For the day of redemption. The other imagery is is the Holy Spirit is a down payment. Just like when you buy a house, you put a a down payment on the house. That is is the promise to the bank that as much as it depends upon you and your abilities, you are going to continue to pay off the house. Uh, And typically if you walk away from the house, what do you lose? You lose that down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment from God ensuring you that He will continue to work in you and draw you to salvation. And God's not going to default on His payments, if we can put it that way. Please don't think of the Holy Spirit like paying your mortgage. But but just think of that language of down payment. And God will not fail in His promises. Just like an ancient king would take his, his signet ring and he would... Impress it in that hot wax. And he would say, this is my seal. These are my words. This message belongs to me. The Holy Spirit is like that, that signet ring pressing into the hot wax of our heart and God saying, this child belongs to me. I won't remove my seal. You have the Spirit of God. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's interesting here that that the Holy Spirit is called both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. I think we're to remember that both the Father and the Son are involved in the sending of the Holy Spirit. That, that Christ returning up to heaven in His resurrection and ascension is the one who sits down at the right hand of the Father. And the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15.45 that He becomes a life-giving Spirit. He gives life through the Holy Spirit to those whom He has won on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that applies that work. First Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. It doesn't matter what gifts you have. Spiritual gifts. We all have different ones. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, the Corinthian church had an issue over spiritual gifts. They were lifting up and prizing the the fancy ones, the noticeable ones, the ones that were loud and showy. Paul says, we all have the Holy Spirit. Sure, we have different spiritual gifts. Not everybody can get up and preach on a Sunday. Not everybody can be a Sunday school teacher. Some of us are gifted as, as excellent behind-the-scenes servers. And we love just doing those things that no one ever sees. And we just get a special joy out of it. That might be your spiritual gift. But guess what? If you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come to share in Christ. You are a part of His body. And if you are a part of His body, you've been given the Holy Spirit. There is a way inside the body of Christ that we are all equal. And that equality transcends all the equality that our world longs for. You hear a lot of people today talking about how we're all equal. And rightly so. And people should be treated fairly and in equity and with justice and compassion and all of those things. But that equality is even deeper inside the church. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're slave or free, you have their ethnic differences. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or American Indian or something else that I can't even think of at the moment. It doesn't matter if you are on a high social class, you're you're rich, you're powerful, maybe you're a government official Or you're homeless. Or you have nothing. Or you work paycheck to paycheck and sometimes you feel like you're an indentured servant to your boss. He calls you up and says, get in here. And you're like, yes, sir, yes, sir. I'll be right in because you don't want to lose your job because you have that bill coming. But in Christ, there's none of that. We are equal. And we have the same Holy Spirit. Not only are you in Christ, but Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10, if you will. But if Christ is in you, so he says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. Why? Because you get the Holy Spirit from the time that you're saved and being saved. But if Christ is in you, In other words, what does the Holy Spirit do? Not only does the Holy Spirit unite me to Jesus, He unites Jesus to me. We tell our little children, right, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. You need to invite Him in and believe on Him. And there are some times where that kind of language can be somewhat inaccurate. For example, Jesus is physically present in heaven in a resurrection body. But there is such a deep truth to that. That spiritually, because the Holy Spirit is there, Christ is in you. You are connected to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul will later say in verse 12, we are to put to death the deeds of the body. I think this death of the body here, the body is dead, implies the body still has sin. And I think the biggest example of that is if the Lord doesn't return, we will all still die. And death is a consequence of sin. And even though your body is decaying and getting old and dying and maybe even fighting diseases and illness, the Spirit of God within you is working life. Eternal life. He has begun that good work in you and it assures you of your salvation. And I think here the Spirit is life because of righteousness is referring back to that concept in Paul of God's righteousness. God's righteousness that is at work in the Gospel and that God imparts to us through Christ. Finally, this morning, when you belong to Christ, the spirit is working life in you, although your body is dying. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You live in a mortal body, but the Holy Spirit is working spiritual life in you. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Even more, you will come to share in the resurrection. Why? Because just as God raised Jesus from the dead, God has put the Holy Spirit within you. There's a connection here between what God the Father does to Jesus, and I think He raises Him in part through the Holy Spirit, and what God is doing in us. Imparting life Through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in us. Then God is bringing spiritual life to us. You need to know that when you struggle in your sin. When you have those moments of weakness. And you are painfully reminded of the mortal body that you have. Whether it's physical ailments. Or whether it's just the temptation is arising to sin. God's given you the Holy Spirit. He's put a new capacity within you. Rely on Him. We talked about it in Sunday school. Abiding in Christ was the language that the Gospel of John uses. But the Holy Spirit dwells in all believers. Let me make just a few applications very quickly this morning. First, being Trinitarian is more than just signing off on a doctrinal statement. I think sometimes we say to ourselves, well, of course I'm Trinitarian. I believe that there's one God, three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't know what to do with that. Now, granted, the doctrine of God is about God who we worship. And in some ways, it's not about what we get out of it. We glorify God because this is who God is. But because this is who God is, we see this intimately connected to how He works in bringing salvation. Go through these verses. You see God the Father doing something. You see work of Jesus doing something. You see the Holy Spirit do something. If you take Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14, to 14, He breaks it down into just those categories. There's two or three verses about what God did. There's two or three verses, maybe a few more, about what Jesus did. And it ends with, this is what the Holy Spirit does, sealing you. God, the triune God, works salvation. Let me kind of add to that thought. Reformed theology. Theology that's an heir uh, to the Reformation, that gives priority to the working of God, and, and even as we talked about today, the inability of man to respond by his own strength. strength. This reformed understanding that flows out of the Reformation is profoundly Trinitarian. I would not be who I am in Christ now if it was not for the work of the Spirit. And if the Father and the Son had not sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who imparts life, I would not be alive from start to finish. Salvation is a work of God. And the only thing that I contribute is the sin which makes salvation necessary. Even when you think about faith, you are, you are receiving what God has done. You're not giving something in contribution. You're just taking in what they have done for you. And even that act of taking it in is because the Holy Spirit is working in us enlivening us. Second, being of the Spirit and living according to the Spirit in these verses is not about charismatic gifts and weird manifestations of the Spirit. We do the Holy Spirit a grave dishonor when we think He only shows up when there's some kind of crazy speaking in tongues, pushing people over those things that you see on TV. If we think that's what the Holy Spirit is when He works, we're robbing the triune God of His glory. Anything that you have in salvation is a work of the Father, a work of the Son, but also a work of the Holy Spirit in you, applying it to you. Third, you may have a physical body that's dying. You may be going through some kind of illness, some kind of uh, trouble, even some kind of spiritual struggle, but you need to know this. God is continuing to work the life of the Holy Spirit in you. Paul talks about having the, the treasure of the Gospel in jars of clay. And he talks about death being worked out in his body as he does this ministry, as he's beaten and left for dead and in anxiety over the churches and all of this hardship that he faces in this mortal body that is dying that he has. And yet he says to the church, God is working life in you. It's awesome. Sometimes God uses the things that decay our physical bodies the most to also enliven us spiritually so that we learn what's important, so that we look forward to the hope of the resurrection, so we don't get caught up in the things of the world, but we have to trust God in the hardships. Finally, there is great comfort, assurance, and motivation for holy living when I recognize that God is the one who has put His Holy Spirit within me that assurance and comfort that He has sealed you. That that you do not have to sit there and wait for a a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you now. And if you ask God to work through the Holy Spirit and, and fashion you to be more like Christ and say to Him, bring the fruit of the Holy Spirit so I'd be more loving, God delights in answering those prayer requests. My motivation for holy living is not myself and my strength. For in myself, I have nothing. But God has so united me to Christ that the Spirit of God lives in me. And Paul's going to unpack this and talk about us being adopted and we have the Spirit of adoption in us that cries out, Abba, Father. But just for today, know this. If you are struggling with sin, the reason you are struggling is because the Holy Spirit is in you. And don't be afraid in that sense to ask for more of the Holy Spirit to equip you in this fight. God delights in conforming His children to the image of Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You today and we ask that that, uh, we would delight ourselves in You, that Your goodness would be at work in us, that we would be reminded that if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We know at times the Scriptures tell us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are to seek the Holy Spirit, that we are to look for Him and be dependent upon Him to be more and more active in our lives. And yet, at the core, You never remove that sealing of the Holy Spirit. You never take away that down payment. But we ask that you would be faithful to that down payment and continue to minister the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we look forward to the the resurrection where we are fully given the Holy Spirit in, in new bodies that are unable to perish. Even now, Lord, as we celebrate communion, we ask that you would use the Holy Spirit to remind us of that union with Christ so that as we take in the elements, we would be reminded that Christ's blood was shed for us. That Christ's body was broken for us. We just praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're